Yeah. So all this month, we've been thanking our volunteers, and uh, we actually have a gift for volunteers. Now, we've been using these cheesy little sayings every week. We gave you chips and said you're all that in a bag of chips. Uh, this week, it's thanks a latte. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you see a volunteer, thank them a latte, uh, and make sure you get a, a gift when you go out. Now, you, all this month, we've been writing thank you notes, and some of you wrote thank you notes. This was obviously a kid who wrote this, and this is what they said. They said, thank you, and there was a two, you know, you put the name of the person if you knew it, to God. Thank you because you love people and you serve the world. That also will preach, as they say, right? That's, you don't even know. That's fine. I know. It's good. You, you don't have to know. Uh, thank you. This Here's one. Uh, to Jesus, you volunteered your life for us. Man, I'm not that smart. And I read that, and I went, man, that's exactly it. When you serve, when you volunteer, that might be the most Jesus-like thing that you can do. Yeah? Man, this is going to be quiet today. Everyone's like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, we're in week six of a uh, series called The Wind, and we're learning about, we've been learning about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been here, you have been probably asking a question that we all, it's a human question. Uh, that we have a tendency to ask about anything that we learn that's new. We ask uh, with reference to ourself, and we say, well, what's the, whole, what's the point of the Holy Spirit uh, for me? Right? We all kind of sing the same song, don't we? We sing, me, 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 Right? It's kind of, it's human, right? I, I, I do it, you do it, it's okay to admit it, it's all good, Right? But we, we kind of have a tendency to sing that, and so we want to know what the point of the Holy Spirit is for our life, for my life. It's a little bit of a selfish question, but it's an honest question, and it's a question that needs an answer. Now, I, I need you to understand, I'm not trying to sell you on the Holy Spirit so that you will buy, because that puts you in charge. That means that you get to decide, well, you know, I don't need that, I don't need that, and I'll pass. The offer that's being made to you about the Holy Spirit is that, not that you would buy and you would sign on the dot, yeah, I'll, I'll accept it into my life. It's instead that I will surrender my life to the Holy Spirit. Totally different frame of reference. That's what we're working on. So we're going to talk today uh, about what is the point of the Holy Spirit in your life. So turn to your neighbor and say, about to get me some Holy Spirit and stand up while you do it. Ready? You do that for me? Turn to your neighbor. I'm about to get me some Holy Spirit and stand up. Man, we're having a rough time today. We are just, we're like, whoa, whoo. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. It'll be on the screen, and you can follow along as we do this together today. Here we go. You ready? This is from the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Now, the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us, what's the word there, the two words there? The Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident. How would you like to go through life always confident? And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He's talking about uh, being alive versus being dead and with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body here on earth or away from it. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Well, the the thing we've been using as the access point to help us begin to understand the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit into our daily experience has been this very simple prayer, calling it the Holy Spirit prayer. We're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to invite you to say it uh, and pray it with me. I've been praying this, and I hope you have too, but here's the prayer. Would you say this out loud with me? Ready? Here we go. Come, Holy Spirit, all the way down, all the way in, all the way through. One more time. Ready? Come, Holy Spirit, all the way down, all the way in, and all the way through. Now, I I hope you understand that this uh, this is not a prayer for God. This is not convincing God to do something. This is not convincing the Holy Spirit to come. This is not an incantation. You're not doing that. Uh, The Holy Spirit is very aware of who the Holy Spirit is and doesn't need you to tell the Holy Spirit who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit knows all about you from top to bottom, and so if you invite the Holy Spirit in, the Holy Spirit knows what to do, and the Holy Spirit doesn't need to be told where to go. He knows. It's just like we're informing God when we pray this prayer. What we're doing when we pray this prayer, this is a prayer for us. We're saying, I'm rolling out the red carpet, and God, I want all of you and I want you to come all the way in me. And it helps us to think about, man, what am I leaving out? What am I excluding God from? And then I want you to come all the way through me to other people. And I want you to make a difference in my life. So we're using this prayer as the access point. Now, if you're an American, and I think most of you are, uh, when you read this uh, passage, heard what Paul is saying to us this morning, I bet you had some problems with some of the things he said. Because they go right against some of the values that we hold dear. Now, we don't say that they're values, but they're things that we hold very, very dear to us, and so we don't like them on the face, and so we kind of got to deal with them before we can move on and understand more about the Holy Spirit. But Paul says that he's at home with the Lord, whether he's in the body, in other words, here on this planet, or he's away from the body, meaning he's not with us, but he's with the Lord. And you have to understand something about Paul. Paul was an incredibly powerful leader and human being who made a massive difference in the world, And the source of his confidence was that it doesn't matter if I'm here or if I'm there. I'm with the Lord. Made a massive difference in his life. So he said, so as a result of that, we make it our goal to please the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I could stop right now, and you could go home, and you could apply pleasing the Lord to your life this week, and it would change absolutely everything. You'd come back in seven days, and you'd say, my life is totally different. Because as an American, you hear, to please the Lord. Wait a second. My life's about me, right? Remember, we, remember the song we all sing? Me, 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 right? Me, 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 me. We, we sing this, that song, right? So why would I please somebody else? <laughs> you would change everything if you got up tomorrow morning and you said, I'm going to go to work, and the reason I'm going to go to work today is because I'm going to please the Lord. And I'm going to deal with the person that I cannot stand in my job. And instead of me dealing with them through the lens of how I feel about them, I'm going to say, how would it please the Lord for me to interact with this person? And then you're going to think about how you spend your money so you please the Lord and how you spend your time. I promise you, I can end the message right now. We could all go home and apply that, and your life would be radically different. Radically different. So Paul says, uh, learn to please God. For we must all appear, and this, this drives us nuts as Americans, we must all appear before the, he says, the judgment seat of Christ. The picture there is, is imagine a, a movie you've seen about Roman times, and, and there's the steps and the throne and the guy with the little crown. He's, he's, giving, he's saying at the end, 
Uh, in the end, we're all accountable for what we do while we are in this body that you and I have been given. We, we're accountable to God for the actions that we take and the things that we do toward other people and that we're going to be, in Paul's words, we're going to be judged for it. Now, we don't like that as Americans. No, we don't want anybody to judge us for anything. What do you, I don't like that. Now, if I could take you, though, to uh, a favela outside of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Rio, favela is the Portuguese word for a, a slum or just a terrible place that I've been. And you could go there and you could see how the police will not even go into the favelas because they're so run down and they're run by drug lords and people live in fear and there's massive injustice in that place. If you live there and that was your lived experience every day where you were like, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through today and you heard that there was a God that was going to judge the things that were wrong in the world, you'd go, oh, thank you. Someone's going to make this right in the end. Because Americans, we don't get that. Or if I could take you to Kenya and I could take you to the, the hut that I sat outside of, outside in Bartabwa, Kenya, rural Kenya, uh, uh, outside Nairobi, Kenya, if I could take you there and I could tell, introduce you to the family who moved from another place and they took all their possessions. And when I say they took all their possessions, they basically wrapped things up in a napkin. And they didn't move the TV because there was no TV. And they didn't pack the plates in little bubble wrap things because there were no plates. And all they took was their goats and they moved them across to another place and they lived at another place. And someone came by not long before we had been there and stole their goats, which means it stole their livelihood and stole their ability to survive. And if that was your experience, and you heard that there was someone that was going to judge the things that weren't right in the world, you'd go, oh, bring it on. Br bring it on. And you would understand that when God judges the things that are wrong in the world, that it's an act of love. And so here's what Paul is saying. What we do in this life matters so much. It matters so incredibly much. And in the meantime, while we are about doing it, God has given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So here's what we're going to do. Let me give you the roadmap. And we're going to talk about what God's up to in, in your life and in mine. Uh, we're going to talk about how God does what he is up to in your life and mine. And then we're going to talk about how you can be a part of what God is doing. And then we're going to take the elements of the Lord's Supper together. So Paul says that in the middle of us uh, being accountable for the things that we're doing in our life, that he's given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Now, the image he paints, you know, if you've bought a house, you know what this is. When you buy a house and you write a contract, you put down what's called earnest money. And that means I'm going to give you this money guaranteeing that I will give you the rest of the money. And it's, it's risk money. You're taking a risk. Something could go wrong and you could lose that money. Uh, you're taking a, a risk and you, would, you wouldn't just be uh, loosey-goosey with that deposit. You would only put it in a place that you trusted would bring the return you were looking for. And, and this, is what, this is what Paul is saying about the Holy Spirit in your life, is that God trusts you and is willing to take a risk on you. That God's like a, an entrepreneur and you're his startup. That God's starting a new business and you're the first employee who's going to make it all happen. That he's, he, he takes a risk, and he gives you a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So if you've ever felt the warmth of the Holy Spirit, you've ever felt that feeling that floods you from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes, you go, oh, that's the greatest thing I've ever felt. That, Paul says that's just a deposit. That's just a taste guaranteeing of what's to come that's even better than what you felt. But that God takes an absolute risk on you. This is, and, and so here's what Paul says that God has always been up to. He's always been up to 
what he's always been up to. What do you mean? Well, you have to go all the way back to the beginning, and you have to start at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, <coughs> and this is what you find out. This is the pattern. I'll put it on the screen for you. Now, the earth was <coughs> formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, that word formless and empty is a, is a Hebrew word. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and it's, it's a play on words, and it's, this is the Hebrew word. I'm going to give it to you so you can, at lunch you can sound like you know Hebrew, and it's this. It's tohu wabohu, not tofu boohoo, as someone said after the first service. Tohu wabohu. Turn to your neighbor and say tohu wabohu. Tohu wabohu, formless, empty. Uh, uh, probably a better word to, de- to describe that would be chaos, right? Now here's, the, here's what you need to understand about the book of Genesis. It, it, it gives us an account of what happened, but it is also telling us what currently happens? And you know something about chaos. You know something about tohu wabohu. Uh, when, my, uh, when my oldest son, Hudson, when he was a baby, and then uh, when his brother Corbin came along three years later, uh, my, I mean, my hands down, my favorite time of the day uh, was at night. Now, we, uh, when we had, we had him, we decided that we didn't want to buy one of those weird little rocking chairs that people buy when they have babies and then when their babies are too big they have to give it away so we said we're gonna buy a leather recliner that swivels and the leg pops up like we're gonna keep this thing uh even after this baby's not a baby and so I would at nighttime I would sit down with them and a book and we would sit down in this leather recliner and we I would open the book and they would be nestled in both of my arms and I would read them this wonderful story and they would on the book and oh isn't that sweet my wife would take pictures and then then I'd walk the Corbin to the crib and I'd put him love you buddy good night smooch I go take Hudson put him in the bed when he was old enough to dad dad I love you hug me and then I would close the door quietly and walk down the hall and say isn't it wonderful having children honey And now they're 12, 9, and 8, and I'm not sure, but I think I'm possessed because at night I'm, go to bed! (laughs) What are you doing? Why are you still up? What do you need now? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Tohu wabohu, right? The night is formless and empty, right? It's full of chaos, right? It's something that happens right now. It happens. It happens. And if you've ever been a part of a blended family and you've tried to merge two families and two sets of ways of doing things and step-parents and expectations, you know something about tohu wabohu. And if you've ever been trying to pay the bills and it's just... You run out of money before you run out of month. And you don't know how it's all going to work. You know something about tohu wabohu. And if you have a friendship uh, that's not working and you're trying your hardest to make it work or you just wish you could have a friend and you just, man, you feel so lonely and you just try and reach out and then you find out that as you, the way you reach out, you're kind of desperate and you push people away and you're like, I'm never going to have a friend. No one's ever going to be close to me. No, I'm not, how am I ever going to feel like I belong anywhere? 
You, you know something about tohu wabohu. You, you know, see, we know something about chaos. Because it happens. Now, you need to understand, this is the good news. You need to understand that the Holy Spirit has always been up to what the Holy Spirit has always been up to. Because in the original chaos, what did the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit came into the tohu wabohu, came right into the chaos and created and made, new, made things new. And took the raw material of the chaos and made light. Now, this is why Christianity starts with a new creation. Why Jesus said you have to be born again out of the chaos of your life where you screwed everything up. And you needed somebody that you're like, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know where to go with my life. I don't know how to start over. I'm lost. And when you finally recognize that, you you go, oh, I need somebody. It starts with a new birth. And what happens is something is born new from the ashes of your life. And maybe you burned down your finances, or you burned down a friendship, or you burned down your kids, or you burned down a marriage, or you burned down a life. You need to understand the Holy Spirit is right there in your chaos where it's formless and where it's empty. And he takes that and he does what he's always done and recreates things and renews things. Man, you could say amen right there because that's good preaching right there, right? That's why you want the Holy Spirit in your life because you have chaos in your life. And if you don't have a force on your side that recreates and renews things, you are in trouble, my friend. You are in trouble. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit recreates and renews things because he has not given up on you. This is what Paul is saying. Man, that's, that's good right there. I don't know if you know that. Now, how does God do this? How does he recreate? Well, I mean, it's, just a little bit, it's a little bit surprising. Because as you look at the record of people in the scriptures and then the record of God's people for the last 2,000 years, you see the same kind of thing happening. What God does when he does his work of recreating and renewing things, it's his spirit. But he sends people to be the agent of his spirit and do the recreating and do the renewing. You are the main power tool in God's uh, remodel tool bag. It's you. Now, maybe, maybe the recreate image is hard for you to get your head, head, head around, but it's like remodeling, right? Tearing it all the way down to the studs and starting all the way over and re, remodeling something. And what God's Holy Spirit wants to do in the world always happens through you. Let me say that to you again. What God's Holy Spirit wants to do in the world always happens through you because it's always been God's plan to use people. See, if you go all the way back to Genesis and you go all the way back to the plan, what God started when he made Adam and Eve out of the, out of the chaos is he said, now you take and you name the animals and you fill the earth and you subdue it because God did his work through the people that he created. You are his power tool of choice. It's you. I don't know if you know that about yourself. So let me give you a, let me give you a formula. I don't, I don't think formulas are always the case, but I think this is a pretty reliable formula uh, about how God do, does what God does. And it goes like this, where there is a great need, God looks for a willing person, and through that willing person, he works great transformation. Right? Now, sometimes God works through unwilling people, because God can do that. But more often than not, what God does is he takes, he finds the greatest needs. And then he takes someone who's willing to do something and be used by him in that great need, and he does something that you couldn't even imagine. I I could give you story after story all the way through the scriptures. I'll give you several examples all the way through the scriptures. When God's people were enslaved in Egypt, uh, that was the great need. The willing person that he sent was Moses, and the transformation that he worked was freedom. 
At another point in, uh, in the history of God's people, uh, there was ethnic cleansing that was getting ready, getting ready to happen, and God's people were, were, by law, about to be wiped out. And the willing person was a woman named Esther. You could read the, her story in the book of Esther, and, and the, the transformation that came as a result of that is they were protected. Uh, people were without God, and God sent a willing man named Peter, and the result was salvation for people who were far from God. And there was destruction of a city that was getting ready to happen, and a willing person named Rahab, uh, offered herself, and there was safety for God's people, and there was hunger in Acts chapter 6. People were going hungry. They weren't being fed, and a willing person named Stephen, and the, 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 the result of that is that the poverty cycle was ended. I, I mean, I could give you examples from human history. I could tell you about in England uh, when they were on the verge of a civil war, and slavery was still uh, on the law books, and a, a willing person by the name of William Wilberforce said, I'll be used by God to change that, and the result was they didn't have a civil war, and they got, they got the law overturned. Or you're going to hear about this in just a couple days. On October 31st is the 500-year celebration, if you haven't heard about it in the news, you will, of the Protestant Reformation. And, and uh, the church was involved in all kinds of religious abuses. I know that never happens. They were involved in all kinds of religious abuses, and, and uh, they were r- robbing people blind in the name of building a great big giant cathedral. And, and, and a guy, willing guy by the name of Martin Luther said, I'll stand up for that. And the result was there was renewal in the church. Or I'll give you a modern example. <coughs> of the poor being neglected and a willing little nun by the name of Mother Teresa said I'm going to care for the vulnerable and now you have a picture of what it means to care for the vulnerable and the oppressed this is how God always does his work but what happens with us inside of us is we go well I I, I can't really do that I mean I don't really know much about the Bible um I'm too busy. I'm too afraid that I'll fail. And what comes rushing in, in the middle of the great need, is our own fear and our own shame. And it stops us from being a part of what God is doing. Now, I could go back through that list of those people in the Bible, and I could tell you that these were just ordinary people. Moses was a murderer. Esther was a woman. Now, you need to understand something. I know that women don't have equal rights, and we need to fight for the equal rights of women. But this was back in the day when a woman was property. And just by saying the wrong thing, a man could essentially, especially her husband, could snap his fingers and she's dead. Uh, If you were to look at Peter, Peter was a fisherman. When he got up in the morning, it'd be like he put on his boots and he put on his, his work shirt and had his name on it. When Rahab, remember Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. Stephen was a volunteer. These are not professional people with degrees and understanding of theology and the Bible. They were just willing people. There was a great need, and they were a willing person, and what God did through them is he worked transformation. Now you have to survey your life, and you have to go, where's the greatest need? Maybe it's something at work. There's a situation, and you're tired of trying to make that better. Or it's with your kids, and you, you don't know how to fix it. Or someone you're in a relationship with or you're married to and you're like, I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to make this work. This is beyond me. And you, you frankly have gotten to the point where you just have almost given up because the thought wakes you up in the morning and you go to bed with it at night and you're sick and tired of thinking the same thought. You don't know your way out of the feedback loop that's inside of your own brain and you don't know how to get out of it. And, and you've, you, you've given up, but I need you to know that God hasn't given up. God still cares about that situation and he's looking for the willing person because God uses the willing person, not the perfect person. Do you understand that? 
Yeah, you can, you, you can do that. This is, how, this is how the Old Testament says it. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him, right? God can use anybody, right? We, we look at the tools in the tool bag, and when we look at, when we look at the tool, we're like, this is, this is how we feel. We're like, this is nothing, right? I, this, is, this is nothing. But when you fill what feels like nothing with something that has power and life in it, guess what? And you, you look at it and you go, I don't, I don't have any power. I mean, like I turn the switch and nothing happens. But when you plug into the power, baby, all 12 volts, come on. <laughs> See, this is what God's looking for. This is what God's looking for, people who will just be, they're, they're just willing. They're not perfect. They don't have it figured out. They're just willing. So how do you do that? So glad you asked. This, uh, this, this, this message is actually a, a gigantic setup for the next two months. <laughs> and we're going to talk about these two things I'm going to tell you about. I'm going to give you an overview. But when God does his work through people, it's always through these two avenues, always, every single time. And the two avenues are that you would be willing to show compassion and that you would be willing to share your story. Now, we're gonna, like I said, the next month we're going to talk about compassion, and the month after that we're going to talk about sharing your story. But let's make, sure we're, let's make sure we're on the same page so we understand what God's asking of us and how we can be used by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can come all the way through us. Uh, compassion just means this. It means to be moved in the inward parts or to, to feel compassion or to take pity. It's, it's an emotional response to the needs of people. And when you ever, whenever you read that word compassion in the Old or the New Testament, uh, the translators are being really nice, and they're not really saying it the way that it's really written there, because what it really means in the original language is to have your guts ripped out by the hurt and pain that you see around you. It's like, oh, like how does that even happen? We got to do something about that. There's a scene in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus is walking down the road and two blind men are on the side of the road. Now, in that day, if you were blind or disabled, there was no ADA act. There was no special parking place. If you were disabled, your family just basically dumped you on the side of the road and just hoped for the best. And so these men, their entire life, had lived by the side of the road. And they, as Jesus goes past, they call out and they say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on, on us. And Jesus turns to them and he says, what do you want me to do? And they say, Lord, we want our sights. And I think we've got the verse for you right here. <coughs> verse 34 chapter 20 Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed. literally Jesus guts were ripped out by what he saw and if you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to the Holy Spirit's going to come through you you're going to have to be open to the needs and perspectives of other people and allow yourself to suffer with them what they're going through Paul says it this way. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, right? Put, put on, as one of the things that you wear every day, put on compassion. It means that you suffer with someone. You enter into their story and you see things from their perspective. Now, we can kind of get that on a big picture level. Like, we're going to do the Christmas offering and we're gonna, we want to raise $25,000 for local needs like we've done in the past where we nominate people and and then we're working uh, with some agencies, and then we want to give $30,000 to some local agencies that serve Lake and Porter County and, and help them with their mission. And in 2018, all us go and help them 
do their mission wherever they do what it is that they do. And then $10,000, we want to build a water well in a village in Malawi, Africa. Malawi, Africa is one of the 10 poorest countries in the world. Uh, we can kind of get our head around those kinds of things. I was Wednesday night, there was some of uh, the pastors that uh, had teams of people who ran the Chicago Marathon, had a meeting on Wednesday night, and the president of World Vision was there who sees all the needs all around the world that you don't know anything about, and he was listing the needs, that, the tremendous needs in our world right now, in addition to all the hurricanes that happened. He said there are 40 million people that have been displaced in Eng India and Bangladesh by floods. There are 65 million refugees. We have the worst famine in, famine in 50 years happening in the Horn of Africa with 22 million people at risk. There are 53 civil wars raging around the world. There's, there's a half a million Muslims in the country of Myanmar who are being uh, systematically exterminated because of their faith. And, and those needs, those big needs of the world, we go, oh, man, oh, we, whew, what can we do? We kind of feel something about that. You know what's harder for us? is when it's somebody that we know and they just happen to disagree with us. If you're a Republican, it's awfully hard to have compassion for a Democrat. <laughs> it's sometimes hard for people to have compassion for someone on government assistance. It's sometimes hard for someone to have compassion for someone who's a refugee who wants into a place where they, need, they can find hope. We'd much rather just call them names. See, what, what happens for us is we like the people who like the things that we like. Well, what that really means is we just like ourselves, <laughs> if we're really honest, right? I agree with all the people who agree with me. Therefore, I agree with myself. <laughs> it's really, but we're called to have compassion. means to, to look at things from their perspective. Yeah, you see it differently than me, but you're a human being. You see, this, this is one of the things that keeps us stuck. Is that we look at our own, remember, we, remember the song we all sing? Me, 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 me. I have suffered a lot in my life. You don't know, but my pain is real. That's, that's, what we, that's the song that we sing. I've got news for you. That's the song that everybody sings. And the people around you, they have suffering too. And if you would pause and listen to their story and hear things from their perspective, and suffer with them. You would be used by the Holy Spirit to make a massive difference. Now, that's the first thing, okay? Second thing is that you just simply have to share your story. It means share your faith. And when you share your faith, you're not forcing something on someone. All you're doing is you're letting them know that there is a power source that can recreate them and renew them and help them see the error of their ways. And you can say, there's a power source that you could plug into that could help make this situation better. And that power source's name is the Holy Spirit. And you can have access. In fact, the writer of the Proverbs, he says, the person who wins people is wise. Paul wrote in the New Testament, he said, I, I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith because then you'll know every good thing that we have in Christ. Listen, do you, you want to know what the point of the Holy Spirit is? The point of the Holy Spirit is you. Now let me make sure I help you understand what I mean by that. The tip, when the Holy Spirit wants to enter into a situation and make a change, the, f the point, the thing at the front that he wants to put in is you. He wants the point. See, you're on the point. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a play on words. He puts you, if you're willing, if you let the Holy Spirit work through you, and you enter into the situation, 
And because you're willing, not because you're perfect. And that's how God makes the difference that he makes. That's how it happens. Now, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. And these are very basic things. It's bread, and here we have juice. And this was just a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. This has kind of taken on all kinds of meanings. But the original meaning was the, the Passover meal, the Jewish Passover meal. They were eating a meal together. And Jesus was taking the ordinary things that you ate at any meal, and he was saying these ordinary things can now be holy things. In other words, he was saying that your life, though it feels very, very ordinary, can be very, very holy and sacred, and it can be something powerful. And he was infusing the ordinary with his spirit and saying, when that happens, man, everything changes. And he was also making an invitation to a table. It was a meal. He was including people. See, he was having compassion on people and saying, I know you don't have a place to belong. I know you don't have food to eat. I know you need a family that will come around you. Why don't you come to my table and sit with me and be in a relationship with me? And then in doing this, we actually tell the story of Jesus' death, how he, uh, on the cross, offered his body for us and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We share the story. We say the power to forgive you is available to you when we, when we take this meal. So I'm going to invite you to the Lord's table. And you might be in the place where you go, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not that compassion stuff. I mean, that's like, eh. Boy, but I sure would love to belong. I mean, I'd love to be a, I'd love to want to do that. Guess what? You know who's invited to his table? Anybody. So I would, I would want you to, in a minute, I'd want you to come to the Lord's table. If that's you. You might be in the position where you say, I, I'm ready to let the Holy Spirit use me in that way. And so when I come, I'm taking the elements and I'm recognizing there's a bee right there. Holy cow, get away from me, devil. (laughs) That was crazy. (laughs) I'm ready to let the Holy Spirit use me in that way and be one of the people that extends the Lord's table to people. And, and you realize, don't you, when you come to this table that there are all kinds of people in this room that you don't, if you could talk about the issues, wouldn't agree? That's the beauty of the Lord's table is we're, we're bound together by something bigger than our opinions. So you might want to take the Lord's table as well. So would you, I, I would invite you to stand with me if you would. And I'm going to invite you in just a second. I'm going to pray. And then just a second, I want you to come take the elements of the Lord's table. And then as you take them, you're dismissed. You're sent from this place to love God, to love people, and to serve the world in his name. And on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup and he lifted it up. And he said, this cup represents uh, my blood of a new covenant that I'm making, that I'm shedding for the forgiveness of your sins and the sins of the whole world. And when you take and when you eat this, you remember the Lord's death until he comes for you and for everyone that you know. So I would invite you now to the Lord's table.